Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy! Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Happy New Year. I can't believe it's 2023 already. It's pretty crazy to think about it. With this new year comes the new word, which Pastor Carlos shared with us last year, and that word is dwell. It's to dwell. To dwell means to live in a specified place, so my home is my dwelling. That's where I live. That's what it means. And as Pastor Carlos explained, we're going to go through the the whole Bible this year, book by book, looking for God sightings. And you might wonder, like, what do you mean, Joel, we're going to look for God sightings? The whole book is about God. What do you mean we're going to look for God sightings? Well, specifically, like PC said, we're going to look for these God sightings. And we're looking at each book of the Bible to find ways that God reveals himself to us and says, dwell in my presence. We're looking for specific ways that God is revealing himself. He's showing himself and he's saying, dwell in my presence. I think it's a great series to have after last year's series. If you weren't with us last year, last year's series was called Anchor. That was the series. And the whole point of Anchor was to take root in God's word, to take root in it. We were learning about who God is and what he's done and what he's doing still. Um, And Anchor gave us understanding. It gave us knowledge of who God is, which is important because knowing the word builds faith, right? Hearing the word of God is what builds our faith. Faith comes from hearing. But we don't want our knowledge to just stay in our minds. We want that knowledge to do something. We want our knowledge to, to, to trickle down to our hearts. The point of knowledge is for, for it to cause some type of change within you. That's the whole point of it. We want it to go down from our minds to our hearts so that it leads us to grow closer to God. That's the whole point. We learn something new about God so that it causes a change inside of us and draws us closer to God. That's the whole point of it. So we can grow closer. In fact, the most foundational purpose in life, I would say this. The whole point is to grow closer to God. The most foundational purpose in life is to have a personal, intimate relationship with the God that made you. Like, that's the start of purpose. The start of purpose is right there, to have a personal, intimate relationship with the God that made you. That's how it starts. So if last year's series, Anchor, was meant for us to take root in God's word, placing our faith in him, This year's series, Dwell, is to grow in God's word, living in his presence. So we're going from taking root in God's word and growing and and placing our faith in him to growing in God's word now. Now we're already already rooted. We're growing in his word, right, as we dwell in his presence. I'm going to borrow some points that PC made last, last week. If you don't mind, I feel like it's worth repeating as we get into today's message. And the first one is this. God wants to be close to us. You know, that sounds so like plain. It's so much deeper if you really think about it. Like, it's not just like this. It's like when people say Jesus loves you and they think it's so plain. It's so much deeper than you, when you really think about it. God wants to be close to us. You might have not, you probably haven't even realized that yet in your own personal life. I'm telling you, God wants to be close to you. That's something that's very profound. And that's something that we really want to understand throughout this year. You know, you, maybe you haven't noticed it in your life yet, but it's real. He wants to be close to you. We can see it in Revelation 21, verse 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The second point is very similar. It's going to sound like it's the same thing, but it's a little bit different. And it's God wants us to be close to him. He wants us to be close to him too. In other words, it's a two-way street. He wants to be close to us and he wants us to be close to him. Um, He wants to know us intimately, but he also wants us to know him intimately. And we see it in Psalm 91 verse 1, where it says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God wants us to dwell in his shelter. But I love how the King James Version says this very same verse. Now, I really love it. Let's look at the King James Version for a second. Let's go back like I don't know how many hundred years it is. And it says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwelleth in a secret place. Like when you hear that, there's no way that you don't hear that and think of intimacy. There's no way if you don't hear that and think of closeness. There's no way that you don't hear that and realize God's saying, I want to be close with you and I want you to be close with me. He's talking about a secret place. See, the secret place refers to God's presence. That's what it refers, it refers to. God wants us to dwell in his secret place. And then thirdly, closeness with God takes effort. It takes work. See, to have a relationship with God is free, thanks to Jesus. Like, Jesus on the cross made it free. Free 99, like that's the best price, right? Free 99. Free to have a relationship with God. But it takes effort to be close to God, to have an intimate relationship with him. That's not free. That takes work. You know it's true if you're married. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's not free to get married. I don't know what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, you can be married and not be close and not be intimate. Why? Because that part takes work. I wish I had a better example because marriage is not free. But you get my point either way. Like, I don't even know why I said that. So, but with Christ, it's free. You have that relationship for free. All you have to say is, Jesus, I I see what you did on that cross. I always miss it. I see what you did on that cross. I get it. I don't have to do anything. I just have to believe on you. That's it. I have to place my life on you, and that's all. But now, if you want intimacy with God, that takes effort. That takes work. To be intimate with him, you have to be deliberate. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, you have to seek God to have closeness with him. That takes a deliberate effort. It takes work. So as we get into the book of Genesis, we're going to see ways that God shows us and tells us, I want to know you. I want to be close to you. And I also want you to know me. I want you to be close to me. We're going to see that throughout this book. And we're also going to get some answer to the question, what does it take? How can I be closer to God? So let's start. When you're meeting with someone, I have a question for you. When you're meeting someone for the first time, what's usually like the first thing that you say? What's up? What did you say? What's your, thank you. Like, what's your name? Or you say, you know, you say your name, right? I'll say, hi, my name is Joel. That's my name. I don't say that's my name. I just say, hi, my name is Joel. You know, you say your name, right? When we read the book of Genesis, God does exactly the same thing. He does exactly the same thing. He tells us who he is. But he doesn't just say, hi, I'm God. He says something way more personal than that. He says, hi, I'm the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
As a matter of fact, in the order that he says it, he says it a little bit different, but it's the same thing. He's telling you know personally who he is. I'm not making this up. You can see it right in the first few verses of Genesis where he says this, Genesis 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. He's letting you know who he is. He's saying, this is who I am. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. See, in the beginning, God is in reference to the Father. The Spirit of God is in reference to the Holy Spirit. And God said is in reference to the Son. See, we learn in the book of John that God's very word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. When it says the word, he's talking about Jesus. So he says, and God said, that's God's very word, is letting you know, listen, this is who I am. I'm a triune uh, uh, God. I'm Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm letting you know exactly from the start who I am. I'm not hiding it. I'm letting you know my true identity. I'm the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you want to know me? I love the fact that the Bible starts this way because it lets us know exactly what the Bible is all about. It's more than just an account of the history of the universe and the earth within it and the people within it. It's more than just that. The Bible is actually, check this out, it's actually an autobiography. That's what the Bible is. I don't know if you ever noticed that. The Bible is an autobiography because it's a book written by God about God. That's it. Like a lot of times we look at it like, I want to learn about me. Look, the book's about God. I mean, you learn about yourself when you learn about God. That's true because he's your creator. But the book is an autobiography. It's a book by, uh, written by God about him. That's what it is. He reveals to us through the word who he is. He reveals his heart. He reveals his heart. As even more than that, he invites you into his heart. In fact, the Bible is an invitation into God's heart. The Bible's inviting us to dwell in his presence. That's exactly what it's doing. It's an invitation into his heart. And we get a glimpse of what this is going to look like, what, what it's supposed to look like. Actually, it's a really small, it's like a blink of an eye. That's how short this glimpse really is. In Genesis chapter three, verse eight, you'll see what I mean right now. When it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The man and wife that they're referring to is Adam and Eve. And the reason they were hiding was because this was right after their first sin. So they were hiding from God because they were ashamed. They felt guilty. But I want you to focus on that first part. Closeness to God, you know, pretty much broke, broke apart right after this or during that. But let's focus on that first part. That first part of the verse says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. They heard the sound of the Lord. As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Like, think about that. They heard God. They heard him. I don't know if they heard his footsteps or if he was too big to like walk through the little space between two trees or two bushes. I don't know what it was. He was like brushing against stuff. But they heard his presence. That demands closeness. That requires closeness. Think about how physically close they were to God. For us... For them, it was a physical presence. It was a physical closeness. For us, think of what that would mean spiritually. To hear God demands or requires spiritual closeness. You got to be close to God to hear him. And then the second part, God walked in the garden. God walked around in the very same garden they lived in. Does God walk around in the very same space that you live in? 
Is he that close to you? See, for them, again, it was a physical closeness. What could that represent for us spiritually? For God to be walking around in the garden of our hearts, in the garden of our lives, in the same path that we walk in. Like, think about that. He walked in the same path that they were walking in. Imagine God and you are so close that you're walking in the same path. Maybe he is and you don't even know it. You don't even see it because you're unaware. See, in this verse, we get this very short glimpse of what God wanted as he walked around in the garden where Adam and Eve lived. It was very short because, again, as I mentioned, that fell apart right away when they sinned. See, the book of Genesis is all about beginning. In Genesis, God calls things to begin. Beginnings involve a calling towards something, but it also calls a calling, it also demands a calling away from something. Let me say that again. Beginnings involve a calling towards something as well as a calling away from something. And I want to give you a few examples of this right in the book of Genesis. The first one is when God was calling everything into existence. Like he called into existence, he created light, sky, water, dry land, the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, plants, um, animals, etc. But what was he calling it out of? Emptiness. We saw it in verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. And then when he created all those things, he was creating it, he was calling out of emptiness. You see it in, in, with Adam. When God created Adam, he gave him life, but he formed him out of dirt. In a sense, like you could say metaphorically, he called him out of dirt. He, he formed him out of dirt. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says it like this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. We sang that this morning, didn't we? And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So he called him out of the dust of the ground. And then thirdly, when God created Eve, you know, he, he created Eve with his hands, but he made Eve out of Adam, out of Adam's rib. Genesis 2, verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So as we think of these examples, right, we think of these God callings, I want you to respond to a couple questions. But when you respond to this, and you just respond to it in your mind, just think about it for a moment. Think about it for, to yourself, but look at it through the lenses of closeness with God, of intimacy with God. Like, let, it be, let your response be from a perspective of wanting to be closer to God. Think of it from that, from that sense. And here's the question, ready? What is God calling you to begin? What is God calling you to begin? This is 2023. Like, we're beginning a new year. We're beginning a new series. But we're talking about being close to God. What is God calling you to begin? And think of it with these two clarifying questions. What is he calling you towards? And what is he calling you away from? Now, You'll be thinking about, hopefully you'll be thinking about that throughout the teaching. We'll get back to it in a little bit. We're going to revisit that. But I want you to think about it. What is God calling you to begin in relation to being closer to him? So let's look at a, a couple more examples of God calling things to begin in the, in the book of Genesis. And by the way, the word Genesis actually means that very thing, right? It means origin. In Hebrew, the word Genesis means origin or beginning. That's what it actually means. So a couple Uh, A few more examples of this. Number one, going back to Adam and Eve, God called them to begin the first population on earth. See, God made Adam and Eve with his hands, but he called them to begin 
the first pop, like the rest of the population, everyone else after that, it was their calling. It was their job to populate the earth. He gave them that responsibility. Let's look at Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. And it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Notice that, right? Our image, because it's a triune God, the Trinity, and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I read all three verses to give you context, but I want to focus on that one part right there, right? That part where God tells them, be fruitful and increase in number. It was their job to begin populating the earth. Why? Why? Because you have to, you have to remember what was the whole point of this. God gave them this command before they, they, they sinned, right? And the purpose was, the idea was, Adam and Eve will begin populating the earth, and all the people of the earth would be able to enjoy God's presence the way Adam and Eve did in the garden. That was the goal. That was the point. That's what you were created for, by the way. You might not realize that because that's not the world we live in right now, but you were created to dwell in God's presence from the start. That's why you exist, to have a relationship with God so you can be close to God. And if you don't see that, I pray you see it because you're missing it. People are missing it in this world. We live to be, to be able to live in Christ so that we can have that relationship with the God that made us. And you see it right there. That's why he's telling them, populate the earth. I want people to enjoy my presence. I want people to be able to see how, who I am so I can be glorified in this relationship that we have. But it didn't go that way. We know what happens actually, right? Backtrack for a second. What it was supposed to look like is what we read in Revelation 21 verse 3. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It was going to look just like that first part of Genesis 3 verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what it was going to look like until sin, sin entered the earth, until Adam and Eve, you know, dropped the ball. I messed it up for us, but we would have done the same. This was the point. God created all of this so that people could be close to him. He could be close to people. That's why he told them to increase, be fruitful. But of course, we know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned. They dropped the ball. You know, they, they disobeyed one of God's commands and sin entered the earth. And as the number of people on the earth grew, so did their sin. As the number of people on the earth grew, so did their sin. And in comes the next like, person that I want to point out that God called to begin something. He called out Noah. And he told Noah, I want you to begin the new population. See, Adam and Eve began the first population. Noah came in and God saying, I want you to begin the new population. Let's read about this story and then we'll talk a little bit more about Noah. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Like, check that out for a second. That's, that's pretty bad. He saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Like, only evil all the time. The Bible, like, God really wanted us to know how messed up this was, right? He could have just said they were evil. No, no, no. 
every inclination, only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made, is that me? Sorry, guys. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He was righteous, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and... I always mess up on this. Japheth? 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 Japheth, thank you. Japheth. I appreciate it. Now, the earth was corrupting. Feel free if there's any other word that I kind of like. Just let me know, man, because I try. Like ham, I get Shem, ham. I've never met anyone. All right, Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth and corrupted their way, had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, cypress wood, cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. So he continues to tell Noah like a very detailed explanation of how he has to build this ark. And then he tells him to take his whole family into the ark and all types of animals as well. Because God was going to make it rain so much that the whole world was going to be flooded. And only those that were in the ark were going to survive. He was, he was making a new population. Before we get into that a little bit, I want, I want to talk about Noah for a moment. Noah, it says Noah was righteous. He was blameless, you know, and, and around the people, with the people around him. And he walked with God. Now, when you say walk with God, it doesn't mean obedience. That's what righteousness is talking about, right? And, and when it says that he was blameless around the, with, you know, amongst the people around him, that's, that's talking about he was a great example. Like people saw who he was in God, but walked with God speaks of something totally different. Walked with God is not just talking about obedience. It's speaking of intimacy. It's speaking of intimacy. This means he had a worshipful relationship with God. He had a worshipful relationship. Worship was his lifestyle. That's how he lived. Do you have a worshipful relationship with God? Like, is worship your lifestyle? Is that how you live? You know, we're all guilty of this, but how often do we hear a worship song and think of it just as entertainment? Like, we might be, you know, listening to it at home or in the car, and, you know, you, you put on a song, you're like, that's my jam, I love this song, this is my song. You know, we see it as entertainment, sometimes it's just like background music. And I get it, that happens. But we forget that worship is meant to pull you into God's presence. I mean, you, you feel it here, right? You, it's, it's meant to call you into God's presence. That's what worship is, as you sing to him and lift him up in praises. It's so much more than entertainment. Why? Because worship is so much more than music. Like, you could be listening to worship music and not worshiping. Because it's so much more than just music. It's an attitude. It's a heart attitude. It's about what you're bringing to God. I want to um, say this lyric from Matt Redman. He wrote a song years ago called The Heart of Worship. And in this song, he says this, King of Endless Worth. No, like, imagine me singing this, number one, and then with a British accent. Like, it's so much better. Like, with a guitar. Like, King of, en- nope. King of Endless Worth. 
No one can express how much you deserve. Let me say it again. King of endless worth. No one can express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. So again, he sings it with his British accent. He makes it sound like it rhymes because right there it didn't even really rhyme. But I love these two lines of the song so much. I don't think you can get more to the root of what worship is than those words. Like king of, I'm exalting you, king of endless worth. No one, there's no one near you, God. No one can even express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, I think of the little drummer boy too, like that's pretty good. Like it's, it's like the same message. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. That's the heart of worship. That's what worship is. It's a, it's a heart attitude. Noah sang those words through his life. He sang those words through the way that he lived because worship was his lifestyle. Is it yours? Is worship your lifestyle? Do you have a worshipful relationship with God? You can be doing godly things and not really be worshiping God because it's the heart. Going back to God's calling to Noah to begin the new population on earth, I want you to think about how God was feeling at that moment. The whole purpose of creation was to have closeness with the people he made. But the human heart was only evil all the time. The only people that showed any fear of God in their lives were Noah and his family. Those are the only people that showed any fear of God. I can only imagine what God feels when he looks at the sin of the world today. Like the description there doesn't sound too much of what the description would be of today. Like it's pretty, pretty close. It said, you know, the word says his heart was deeply troubled. Like the world's sin hurt God. It hurt him. And God told Noah to build the ark so that he would flood the earth and destroy everyone in it. See, if he didn't do this, if he didn't do this, sin would have just continued to increase more and more, making it impossible for anyone to be close to God. Like that's what it would have gotten to. You know, it wasn't just like, I'm angry. I'm going to destroy everything. If it were that like that, he would have just killed Noah too. No. It was out of this desire to be close to people. And he knew there was no way these people were going to be close to him anymore if he didn't change something because their only inclination was to be evil all the time. And he had to do this. And then Noah started this new population. And Noah did everything God commanded him. And I give Noah credit. Like, he didn't ask any questions. Like, he just said, okay, God, I'll do it. Started building a boat in his backyard or his front yard, whatever that was. Like, I don't, those are things that, like, his faith level was really up there because that wasn't an easy thing to do, but he did it. He did exactly what God told him to do because he walked with God. He knew his voice. God sent the flood and destroyed the earth. And the only ones who survived were those that were in the ark. And over time, the population began to increase again. So that's the second example. The third one is Abraham. So we have Adam and Eve. They were called to begin the first population here on earth. Noah was called to begin the new population here on earth. And then Abraham was called to begin the nation of Israel. And that's another population, like is the nation of Israel. Now we're getting close to God's plan, right? Or well, we're getting closer, right? All of it was part of his plan. But now we're getting specific to what God plans to do with the population. Because as much as, a, a, as this was a physical thing, it was also a spiritual thing that he was preparing He was building the nation of Israel. Hundreds of years after Noah, a man named Abram was born and God gave him a special calling. I want to read Genesis chapter 12, 1, 2, and 3. 
The Lord had said to Abram, and that's not a misspelling. You're going to see there was a change in his name. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on on earth will be blessed through you. That's a whole lot of blessings. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Let's talk about Abraham a little bit. Abraham's life is more evidence of God wanting to be close to people. So this isn't what we just read, but I do want to point this out. God appeared to Abraham in multiple occasions. Like He actually appeared to him in multiple occasions. Not that Abraham saw God's full glory. That was impossible. Like you can't see God's full glory and and, and live. Like you die, right? It was in different ways. Some of it was in, in vision. Maybe he saw him in a vision or in humanly form. In one occasion, it might have been even Jesus that visited him in humanly form. Not that he saw God in full glory. That won't happen until we're in heaven. Can you imagine that? See, he would appear to Abraham in ways that Abraham was able to handle and understand. In ways that he would be able to handle, but also in ways that he would be able to understand. And, you know, that that leads me to a question like, how might God be appearing to you in your life? I'm not talking about a physical form now. I'm not saying, you know, he appears to you in a physical form like he did with Abraham. I just mean what God sightings might you have in your life? Do you see them? Because one thing is for sure, God appears and moves in your life. The question is, do you see it? Or are you unaware? Are you trading it in for something else? Are you settling? Or are you unwilling to see it? By the way, those are PC's points from last week, just letting you know. Unaware, are you trading it in for something else? Are you settling or are you unwilling to see it? Because he's doing it. Like he's appearing and he's moving in your life, whether you see it or not. See, like Noah, Abraham also had a worshipful lifestyle. Something that Abraham would do, he would build, he built multiple altars to worship God. An altar was like a raised area made of stone. And the purpose of it was to bring offerings and gifts to God. This is something that Noah also did. It was an act of worship in the Old Testament. Now, that, that doesn't mean go to your backyard right now and build an altar. Like, that's an OT type of thing. You know, Jesus ended all that. We don't need to do that. You know, you're laughing. Were you thinking about it? Is that why you're laughing? Like, don't do that. Because now it's our life that is a sacrifice for God. Now your life is supposed to be that sacrifice that we offer to God. Our life is on the altar as we give him our worship, as we praise him, as we live the way we live. But going back to Abraham's calling to begin the nation of Israel, God would later change his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, father of a multitude. Notice Abraham was being called to go away from his country, to go away from his people and to go away from his father's land. He was being called away from something in his calling. God's calling for Abraham was to begin the nation of Israel And the nation of Israel would come from his family. And these were going to be God's chosen people. And why? Because he was setting it all up. That was was like the the past before the Aliyup. This is why it was so important. Because God would send Jesus down to earth through those very people. Like Jesus came down to earth through the people of Israel, through Abraham's family. That's what he was being called to start. The whole point of God setting Abraham's family apart is so that they would grow to be a great nation following God 
And then through this nation, Jesus will come down and save the people from their sins. That was the whole point. And it would bring things back to God's original plan that people may have the opportunity to be close to him once again. So to recap these beginnings, Adam and Eve began Earth's population so that all people may enjoy God's presence, like in a garden. But then Noah and his family began a new population after God destroyed everything and everyone else through the flood because of all their evil ways. And then Abraham and his family began a new nation separated for God so that Jesus could come down to earth and restore the broken relationship between people and God. So now we're going back to the question I asked earlier. I told you we'd get back to it. And looking at these questions once more through the lenses of intimacy with God, right? Let your responses be from the perspective of wanting to be close to God and respect the dwelling in the shelter of the Most High and respect the dwelling in his secret place. What is God calling you to begin? What is he calling you, calling you to start? What is he calling you to pull away from? What is he calling you towards? Because he's always calling you to draw, draw closer. That doesn't stop. Like he always calls you. I, I, I even figure in heaven and eternity, we're going to spend eternity growing closer and closer to God. Like th- that's never going to end. That level of intimacy is never going to reach a maximum point. We're always going to be learning new things about God and learning to love him more, you know, and and increase in our intimacy with him. What is it that you need to begin to grow closer to God even today? You know, I'm going to give you some ideas to help you think about this. And even now, as I say this, I'm going to ask you to just pray about it. Even start talking to God at the moment and ask him, like, God, what are you calling me to begin right now in my life? What are you calling me to start? What is it that you want me to do? How do I draw closer to you? How do I dwell in your presence? in your shelter, in your secret place. So the things I want to mention are some spiritual habits. And number one, and these are things you've heard before, and I'll say something about that at the end. Prayer. Do you need to begin praying in the morning before you start your day? Dedicating your day to the Lord, covering your family, praying for others. Or maybe it's not praying in the morning. Maybe maybe for you, do you need to start praying at night? Dedicate, you know, handing over your day to, to God, your night to God. You know, giving him thanks and praise for his grace that you've received all day. Maybe it's praying as a family so that your family, your children and your spouse may see how you're you're modeling, how you're trusting that God hears you when you talk to him. Is that what it is? Or maybe praying with transparency. When you pray, do you actually reveal your heart to God? Do you actually show him your heart? Are you fully honest with him? Maybe you need to pray more consistently with more time or maybe more about others. Or maybe in your prayer time, you need to start listening to God during your prayer. Secondly, what about maybe it's reading? Do you need to begin to maybe just start reading his word or start doing a devotional or something that's centered around God's word? Do you need to begin looking at the Bible for what it is? God pouring out his heart, revealing to you who he is, because that's what it is. It's an autobiography. Do you need to begin thinking about scripture throughout the day? like meditating on his word, actually chewing on it. You know, you're reading a word and actually thinking about it throughout the day. Or is it fellowship? Do you need to start spending time with other believers that you can build up or other believers that can build you up? Is it obedience? Do you need to begin to live life in obedience to God? Allow him to confront you in the areas of your life that, you know, that are dishonoring him. Or how about this? Is it worship? Do you need to make worship your lifestyle? 
This may include listening to worship music at home or listening to your car or in your job if you're able to. But it's more than just that because, again, you can be listening to worship music but not really worshiping God. Worship is an attitude of, a heart, of the heart. And you can worship God as you do your job. You can worship God as you clean your house. You can worship God as you cook, you know, cook. And you can worship God as you're, you know, playing with your kids. You can worship God even as you're disciplining your kids. You can worship God as you're, you know, just getting ready for the day. You can worship God everywhere. Why? Because it's all about what, not what you're doing, but what you're doing it for, how you're doing it. Is it coming from an attitude of glorifying God? Is it coming from an attitude of praising God and giving him the glory? Do you need to begin a worshipful relationship with him? You know, I just shared ideas of what God might be calling you towards, but what might God be calling you away from? Like maybe he's calling you away from spending all your free time just on yourself. Like all your free, all of it on yourself. Or maybe he's calling you away from some unhealthy relationships. Maybe he's calling you away from some sinful habits that you, ref- you refuse to break. Or certain things that you listen to or you watch. See, everything I've mentioned, prayer, reading, you know, fellowship, walking in obedience, worship, moving away from things that aren't good, that, you know, that are sinful. Those are things we've all heard all, like, all the time. We've heard that all the time. Or we, we hear it all the time, rather. But the truth is, these are areas in our lives that cause barriers to our closeness with God. So even though those are things we all know, yeah, I should pray. I should, you know, I, I should read. I should worship God. I should, you know, I, I should move away from certain things that aren't good, that aren't holy, that are sinful. Those are things we all know. But you know better than anyone, those are things that could still be very much barriers in your life that are keeping you from drawing closer to them. And nobody knows it more than you. No one knows it more than you. And getting over those barriers takes deliberate effort. It takes work. It doesn't just happen naturally. I want to look at one more story from the book of Genesis. And this is the story of Jacob. Jacob, um, it's about a time that he wrestled with God, by the way. He was on his way to meet his brother Esau. Can, Can you fact check that? Did I say that right? Esau, whom he hadn't seen in 20 years. He hadn't seen his brother in 20 years. And Jacob fled from his family because one day he lied to his father, pretending to be Esau. Like he lied pretending to be his brother, Esau. And his father then gave Jacob the blessing that Esau was supposed to receive. Now, if you don't fully understand that, just think of it this way. He lied to his dad and then he stole from his brother through that lie. That's what he did. That's what he did. And his brother got so angry that he vowed to kill him. He said, the, the moment my dad dies, this guy's dead. Like, I'm killing him. He said, it's just like that. I'm killing him once my, my dad's dying soon. And the funny thing is, his dad didn't die for a long time after that. I, 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 doing the math, I was like, wow, it's a long time. But either way, he was saying, the moment he dies, this guy's dead. So what did he do? He ran. He ran. He had to run away. When Esau found out, he vowed to kill him. 20 years passed by. Jacob now has a lot of wealth, a lot of money, a lot of things a big family of his own now, and now he's traveling back home. And what do you think he's thinking? Nobody can give me a guess. Eh? What? I don't hear anybody. He's like, yo, this guy's going to kill me. Like Esau, my brother's probably going to try to kill me because he vowed that once my dad, his dad was still living. But he was thinking like, this guy's probably going to try to kill me. So he was scared. And ahead of him, what he did was he sent gifts to his brother. Like he tried to bribe him. He sent gifts. He sent all these things to give to his brother. And then, and that last night, he even sent his family before him so he can be alone. 
And this is the scene that we're in now. He's all by himself, not even with his family or nothing. He's completely by himself. Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 28. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So all night they were wrestling, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked, the man asked him, what is your name? Remember that. What is your name? Jacob. He answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. I don't know if I missed a little detail about his name, but I'll say it again later. All right. So the man Jacob was wrestling with was actually God. It wasn't a man. And you notice that right in the middle of the story when he just touches his hip. And like, think about it. The whole night they were wrestling, there's something going on there. Because if God was really wrestling with Jacob, like he should have just like, just told him, fall on the floor, stay right there. And he wouldn't be able to move. He was wrestling for a reason. And then when he finally gets up, he just touches his hip and then he dislocates his hip. So just check this out for a second. That was actually God. The two wrestled throughout the whole night. And then by the end of it, God blessed him. Like those are the things I want you to to notice. Jacob was wrestling God. The two wrestled the whole night. And at the end of it, God blessed him. But why did God bless Jacob? Why did God bless Jacob? And there are a few things I want to point out. Number one, Jacob was alone. He was alone. That means a whole lot. There was nothing in between him and God. There was no distraction. There was nothing else that Jacob was putting as a priority before God. He was all by himself with God. His wealth, his family, his fears, his worries, all of that was ahead of him. Nothing was there. It was just him and God. That's all he had. There was nothing in his way. There were no distractions. Second reason why God blessed Jacob, Jacob was humbled. God was able to humble Jacob there. God touched Jacob's hip to humble him. That's what it was for. See, Jacob was stubborn and relied way more on himself than he ever did on God. He relied on his own cleverness and his own craftiness and his own deception, which often led him into trouble. If you would read his story, you'd find out it often led him into trouble. But God humbled Jacob before he blessed him. Thirdly, Jacob didn't give up. He didn't give up. Like, even after God dislocated his hip, like, I would have just dropped, thrown in the towel. Like, I'm done. Like, you're good. You got it. I can't even move. You win. Even after he dislocated his hip, Jacob still refused to quit. And he demanded a blessing. He demanded it. He said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. At this point, Jacob knew he was wrestling God, right? Because he saw the power that he had when he just tapped him. He just touched his hip. And Jacob demonstrated his hunger for God. He was willing to fight in order to be close to God. That's what he was doing. And then lastly, Jacob was honest with God. That was really important for him. He was honest with him. 20 years before, what did Jacob do? Jacob lied about who he was. He lied to his father about who he was. He said, I'm Esau. That's what he said to his father. 20 years later, now when God asked him his name, he said the truth. He said, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. 
That's so much deeper than you realize. Why? Number one, like he's, now he's being honest. It's the opposite of who he was, a liar. Now he's being honest. But on top of that, his name Jacob actually means deceiver. The meaning of the name Jacob is deceiver. So when he's saying, I'm Jacob, like in a way deeper sense, he's saying, God, I'm a liar. Like I'm a fraud. I'm a hypocrite. Look, this is who I am. He was opening up his heart. He never opened up his heart to God before that. This whole wrestling was really about God wrestling it for his heart. And now he opens up his heart. And he says, I'm a liar. This is who I am. And saying this, he was admitting to God who he was. Let's stop for a moment. Do you remember how the Bible begins? The Bible begins with God being very clear with us who he is. God gets personal and reveals to us who he is. He says, hi, I'm Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who are you? That's what he was saying to, to Jacob right there. He wanted us to know him. And for many years, Jacob was deceitful. He wasn't completely honest with God. So to say he didn't know God, I'm sorry, not, I'm not saying he didn't know God before. Like he definitely had a relationship with God. He believed in him. You would see that if you read the story, but we're talking about closeness. We're not just talking about having, you know, having some type of relationship. You can have a superficial relationship. We're talking about intimacy. He didn't have that with God until he did this. And God asked Jacob for his name, and he's basically saying, who are you? He was challenging God to be, Jacob, sorry, to be 100% honest once and for all. And Jacob finally admitted who he was. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. I'm Jacob. This is who I am. He's finally admitting who he was. He's finally tired of being a liar. See, at some point in his walk, God is going to ask you, what's your name? At some point in this walk, he's going to ask you, who are you? Who are you? That's what he's really asking you. Are you someone that wants to know me? Or are you someone that just wants to know about me? Are you someone that's going to trust me? Or are you just going to trust yourself as you have been? Are you going to be honest with me? Or are you going to to settle for a superficial relationship with me? One that never really gets deep. One that never really, you know, reveals your heart to me. One that never really digs and seeks me and tries to get to know who I am. One who never really gets to, like, tries to live life according to, to what I have planned for you. Who are you? What's your name? God is asking you this morning, what's your name? Who are you? See, this whole wrestling match between Jacob and, and God was more about the spiritual than it was the physical. God was wrestling for Jacob's heart. Jacob's pride was always in the way before that. And on that night, he finally humbled his heart to God. It took a whole night of fighting, too. It took some severe consequences for Jacob, too. He would gain a permanent hip injury for the rest of his life. But in the end, he was blessed. He was blessed. See, just like God changed Abram's name to Abraham, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He went from deceiver to one who struggles with God. When we put in the effort to grow closer to God, God changes us too. That's the point. It takes effort. But when we put in the effort, he changes us too. Are you willing to put in the effort to be closer to God? Coming to Sunday morning is beautiful. It can't end here. It doesn't end here. Because worship has to be a lifestyle. Seeking God is something that takes deliberate effort. Are you willing to put in the effort to be closer to God? My words can't do it. You being here and singing worship songs in the morning, you know, once a week, that in itself can't do it. It's something that you have to decide in your heart. I want to chase after you, God, for myself. 
Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to wrestle over your pride, your fears, your lies, your sin? Are you willing to, for God to tap you on your, on your side and let you know who he is? Are you willing to, God, you know, to allow God to confront you in areas that you need to change? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to allow God to reveal to you the things that offend him in your life? Are you willing to be confronted by God by this way? Are you willing to work for it? What God is saying this morning is, you know, who are you? What's your name? And as we close in prayer, I want you to just think about this again. What is God calling you to begin? Like in his journey of growing closer to him, what is he calling you towards? What is he calling you away from? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, as you know, we've been learning so much about who you are, you know, this past year. And now we're trying to get deeper, Lord. Now, not only do we want to have roots in your word, we want to grow in your word. We want to get closer to you, God. We don't want to just have a superficial relationship. We want to have those moments like Jacob had to have, where he wrestled with you, and he was wrestling over the things that he didn't want to let go. But Lord, in that wrestling, in that fighting, he wasn't willing to quit until he got the blessing. And the blessing only came until he got close to you, until he fought with it, he wrestled with it, and he gave himself up to you, Lord. I pray, my God, that we too may have those wrestling moments, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, at some point throughout this year. I pray, God, that as you ask us, what's your name? Who are you? We're willing to be 100% transparent with you, God, and really let you know where we stand. God, maybe where we stand is, God, I'm not sure about you right now. God, there's so many things I don't get about you right now. Whatever it may be, Lord, what you care about is transparency because then you can speak to the truth. But when we say lies, your truth to those lies, we're not going to listen to because we're blocking it. I pray, my Lord, that we may have those moments that we wrestle with you and we pour it all out to you, Lord. When we draw closer to you and reveal to us, Lord, what is it that you're calling us to begin? What are you calling us towards and what are you calling us away from? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.